This is question 94, and this sets the sets us up for the last 20 questions that are the catechism. This is the question of what are the means of grace? And after answering it, um, the rest of the questions are about how we ought to use them. Um, should we read and hear the Word of God? And if so, how should we do it? And how should we pray? Um, things like that. How, how, do we, how do we obey the, the sacraments? How do we keep those? Um, so all the rest of the questions are about the, the means of grace, the way, the ordinary way in which God saves his people, both initially and then in an ongoing keeping kind of salvation. All right. So this is question 94. What are the outward and ordinary means of grace where, whereby God preserves his elect and communicates to them the blessings of redemption in Christ? We are very decidedly um, an ordinary means of grace church. Um, churches are known by that or not. Um, a Pentecostal church would virtually never be this. Many Baptist churches wouldn't know what this means or would reject it. But Reformed churches of all kinds have historically been ordinary means of grace churches. That is, they've simply asked themselves the question, what is it God wants us to do so that we might be and continue as Christians? So here's the, the answer. The outward and ordinary means of grace, whereby God preserves his elect and communicates to them the blessings of redemption in Christ, are his ordinances. In one word, it's the ordinances. What are those? Well, especially the word, the sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Question one, what is meant by the means of grace? The means of grace are simply the channels through which God gives saving grace. God has established certain ways, certain instruments, certain methods of growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses these ways, these instruments, these methods to preserve believers. Now, of course, we, we recognize that God, as the creator, can immediately work in the soul of a sinner. By immediately, we mean it doesn't have to be mediated through some human method. But God has chosen to usually mediate his grace to people through means. That is, again, he normally uses a channel or an instrument, a method. And so, while the means of grace is a phrase not found in the Bible, 
It is very clear in Scripture that there are methods that God has established or instituted for the purpose of giving grace to men. And we'll see what these are in a minute. Um, but that's, that's what we mean by the means of grace. All right. Question two. Why are they called outward and ordinary? And I'm going to give you an answer that, that will really frustrate some of you, but let me explain, all right? <laughs> I don't like this answer either, but it's actually the right answer. Why are they called outward and ordinary? Because they aren't internal and extraordinary. That's the short answer. Because they're not the opposite of that. They're called outward means of grace because they don't guarantee and are not in themselves the inward graces from the Holy Spirit. They are not internal, that is, they're not automatic or always do their work just whenever they are done. In other words, in the Roman Catholic system, they have a doctrine of the means of grace, right? They're the seven sacraments. And whenever they are done with an, a properly ordained priest, that's necessary, with the exact right words, grace always comes. It is automatic. And so the Latin phrase is, when they operate, they operate. In other words, they always succeed. Uh, Reformed Christians don't believe that the means of grace work that way. Uh, they actually take the Holy Spirit to make them effective. They're outward. His work is inward. He takes the outward and makes them inward. He applies them. But the means in and of themselves are outward. All right? And they're ordinary, not extraordinary. Extraordinary would be the work, again, of the Holy Spirit. It would be perhaps something miraculous. By ordinary, we mean they happen. And if God blesses it, they become grace to us. If he doesn't, they do not. All right? So, the means don't have an effectiveness of their own. They're not um, water taps that if you turn it on, they just run on autopilot. Water pours out every time, all the time. No, they're the way that God generally, not automatically or infallibly, gives grace to people. In other words, God saves or keeps his people through means. The means don't by themselves save you, right? Every time the word comes, everyone who hears the word doesn't get saved or be kept in salvation. What James says in chapter 2, we have to receive with meekness the word that is implanted. It has to be tucked away in our hearts, and we can't do that. Only the Spirit can do that. All right? 
At the same time, the idea of the means of grace not being internal or extraordinary, because they are outward and ordinary, means that um, you're not just walking along as a Christian, and suddenly God from heaven zaps you with grace. You weren't doing anything, you weren't thinking about him, you weren't exercising faith, you weren't hearing his word, you weren't just suddenly, you were empowered by grace. Bam! No, that's not ever promised in God's word. And although God is surely capable of doing that, I mean, at least part of Paul's conversion, right, is something like that. We, we don't expect that every person who's saved will see and hear the risen Christ. But Paul did, and God is fully within his right to use those means. Ordinarily, that's not how he does it, though. And so these ordinary and outward means of grace are the customary ways that he saves and keeps saved his people. So they're ordinary in that sense. It doesn't mean they're ordinary in that they're not valuable or that we're free to despise them. Uh, The greatest thing parents can do for the salvation of their unsaved children are use the means of grace and use them often. Use them well, right? It's, it's to fill their lives with the word of God, bring them to worship, and pray without ceasing. Those are means of grace. And very, very often, God saves when we use those things. The normal Christian life is to grow in grace to build oneself up in the most holy faith. Right? That's scriptural language. This is all language of work, of struggle, of one step at a time, of using means, the means God has established. It means not doing things that God hasn't established. What good would that do? It does mean faithfully pursuing the ordinary channels that the the waters of grace flood into our lives with from God. All right? So that's why they're called outward and ordinary. They come to us, as it were, outside of our souls. Hopefully they'll penetrate to that, but they come outwardly and they come uh, without an absolute guarantee of power. They come as ordinary means. This is why so many people despise these things. I mean, they think worship is is stupid. I mean, what, what am I going to gain from worship? Um, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to do a bunch of boring stuff. Here's why worship. <laughs> here's why your own uh, private reading of the Word of God. Here's why prayer. It, because God has decided that these are the means he will ordinarily use to save you and your loved ones. It's the foolishness of preaching to the world. It's the power of God unto salvation for Christians, right? That's the difference in perspective. But we believe these things are very ordinary and outward, and and they thrill us because this is what God uses. All right? Questions about any of that?
I just want to add something faster from like a couple of lessons ago, even with Paul, like in Paul's situation, though it seemed like a zap moment, it really wasn't because Paul had, you know, knew he had content. So it mm-hmm. wasn't just God just zapped him and all of a sudden he believed he had content to go with the, the event that took place. So. That's right. That's right. God spent his whole life up until that point filling him with knowledge so that when the light went on, um, all of that would be useful to his newly created faith. Yeah, amen. Uh, Question three, what is an ordinance of Christ? I'm not asking the question, what is the list of them? What are they? We'll, We'll do that next. But just what is an ordinance? And the short answer is the means instituted by Christ. In other words, the rituals, the practices ordained by King Jesus, the only head of the church, that it should observe. So whatever Christ commands and appoints, that's his ordinance. We don't look to the institutions of men or the traditions of the church, but to Christ and his apostles and New Testament prophets who founded the church. So we don't, in worship, um, exercise ourselves in sacred dance. If God had instituted that as a means of grace, I trust we would all do it, even those of us with two left feet. But if he hasn't instituted it, not only is it displeasing to him, it isn't useful to us, right? But what are his institutions? What are his ordinances? Well, they include things like the word and sacraments and prayer. And if we were to broaden the list and not just give the primary things, it would be things like singing hymns and psalms, not only in worship, but to ourselves and to each other during the week. It would be personal witness, uh, religious discourse, if you will. Fasting, and on and on the list could go. Some would have more usefulness than others. Some would be used more than others. But all of these are used by God to strengthen the faith of believers and to save them in that sense. Again, not all of them are equally effective. Some of them are more important than others. Some are greater gifts. Um, Some churches, some Reformed churches, would add things like a church government and discipline as a means of grace. Uh, The ministry vows. And in a certain sense, I'm not sure how important it is to make sure we have an exhaustive list, because it's clear from reading scripture that there are several primary ones, and we really ought to uh, labor the most in the most important ones. All right? And so let's ask question four. What are the principal ordinances? What are the primary means of grace. And our uh, answer in the catechism, I think, absolutely gives us the right answer. The word, 
sacraments, and prayer. The word, sacraments, and prayer. This is why our worship is what it is. Because the greatest usefulness in glorifying God and in getting you to heaven is found in the word, in the sacraments, and in prayer. Fisher puts it this way, though the other ordinances above mentioned are not to be excluded, all of them being useful in their own place, yet the word, sacraments, and prayer are the chief or principal outward means for communicating the benefits of redemption. So we simply look at things like, well, what characterized the early church when they gathered for worship? What were the things they did? Well, they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the prayers, to the fellowship, to the breaking, of, to, to the Lord's Supper, to the breaking of bread. And just from reading the entirety of the New Testament, from listening to what Paul says that he did on his missionary journeys, what he tells Timothy and Titus to do in the places where they are fulfilling their ministries, um, it's a, it's a fairly short list of the most important things. The first, when we say the word, what do we mean by that? Well, we mean the preaching of the word of God, the teaching of the word of God, the reading and hearing of the word of God, meditating on the word of God. One of the greatest differences that I have found in sermons that seem to be used of God and those that don't is my time spent in meditation on the passage. After I've done all my study, maybe before I've done an outline, but certainly before I've written my, my final, it's simply meditating on the Word of God. Now that I've got these concepts clearly in my mind about what this verse means, what the words mean, what the grammar is, simply mulling it over, chewing it over and over again in the mind, that's definitely where the best help comes for feeding Christ's sheep, at least as best I can tell. Texts such as John 20 verse 31 and Romans 10:14 would be examples of the value of the word. The sacraments, which of course are baptism and the Lord's Supper, we do believe especially the Lord's Supper is a means of grace because it's the one we are to continually practice, we believe, um, every week. As we remember Christ, as we, as it were, meditate upon his love his self-sacrifice for us, we should gain profit. And prayer, of course, adoration, confession, intercession, thanksgiving. Those are all ways in which not just that we tell God what we want, properly so, but how God works in our hearts. God doesn't need to hear our requests, right? I mean, 
you know he doesn't have physical ears and he doesn't have eardrums and he, he doesn't need us to say something for him to know our hearts. He lives within us. The Spirit knows our spirit. The great benefit of prayer isn't for God. God isn't better off because of it. The great benefiters from prayer are ourselves. Each other, when we hear each other pray, and ourselves. So these are the principal, the preeminent, the special, sometimes they are called, means of grace. I don't really like the word special, but I, I do think that they are primary. I do believe they're primary. And notice, and here's Pastor Ron on his hobby horse, but it's a very healthy hobby horse. Notice all of these things are first and foremost congregational. Oh, oh yes, they can all be done privately. But these are all group activities. These are all congregational worship, public worship kinds of activities. But these are primary because when the Word of God is rightly taught, well, that's when Christ's benefits are explained and offered to all who believe so that they may possess them or possess more of them. That's why, in one sense, this is the means of grace. This is the foundational means of grace. In one sense, there's only one, because all of the others flow out of this one. All of the others we know about only because of the Word. And they get their power, they get their meaning from the Word. So it is central to our worship to our individual lives. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, why are baptism and the Lord's Supper significant means of grace? Because they represent to our senses what the word has represented to our minds through our ears. God speaks to us in two ways. He speaks to us in words, and he speaks to us in symbols. And yes, it takes the word to know what the symbols mean. But the symbols are, are, are ordained by God, and therefore are valuable. In the Lord's Supper, yes, you hear. Let me explain it a bit, perhaps. You hear Christ's direction. You hear his example repeated but you see it as well. And you touch it, you feel it as well. And you taste it as well. So God is coming to you with more than one sense and displaying to you the grace of God in Jesus Christ for us. The New Geneva Bible describes them this way. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, or the sacraments, or the ordinances, if you will, in the narrow sense, um, are ritual actions in which signs perceived by the senses present to us the grace of God in Christ and his covenant blessings. What an excellent definition. 
Such a Baptist definition. Finally, prayer. The prayer of faith, quote, fetches home to the soul all the good of these other two ordinances. It makes it personally ours. So we pray before all these other things, don't we? Not just because that's what religious people do. Not because, well, pastor needs something to say and the service needs to be longer and we need to put people to sleep and you expect it. That's not why we pray. We pray not as a bare ritual, but as showing an interest in obtaining what these could mean to us. They don't have to minister grace to us. If you come to worship and sleep through the entire service, you will not be more grace-filled than when you walked in the door. It's not automatic. You need to be awake, alert, have faith, and pray. Why? Because you need to ask God in prayer to make these effective to you. So prayer is really critical to actually experiencing, not just being in the, the general presence of possible grace, but experiencing actual grace, growing, being strengthened. And again, remember that it is the Lord who has ordained all of these in the new covenant. Pastor teachers edify the church. They're appointed by Christ. Paul would rather speak a few intelligent words in a known tongue than use the other gifts because that's what's appointed by Christ. In Matthew 28, there's a clear command to baptize. In 1 Corinthians 11, there's a clear command to take the Lord's Supper regularly or often. Where do these commands come from? They come from the Lord, the head of the church. They come from Jesus Christ. And in Luke 11, our Christ says, when you pray, do it like this. Not if you pray, when you pray. Questions about the principal ordinances. Question five. Who are these effective for? The short answer is the elect. The elect only. God applies grace through these means only for those he ordained to eternal life. Acts 13, 48, John 10, 26, John 6, 60 to 68. You see, God the Father in his choosing and God the Son in his dying and God the Holy Spirit in his applying don't have arguments with each other. They don't have a different set of people in mind. One isn't more generous or broader spirited than the other two. No, the applying of the work of Christ by the Spirit, earned by Christ, goes to those of the Father, the elect. All right? Finally, question six. And this is a, uh, a, an Oda question. Right? Should we highly value these means of grace? Oda. <laughs> yes. 
Yes is the short answer, of course, because they're the channels through which the Spirit of the Lord conveys grace into men's souls. Again, do you want your children saved? Then fill them with the Bible, bring them to worship, and pray that God will make it effective to them. That's how people get saved. Period. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So don't despise these seemingly powerless, and they are in themselves, <laughs> rituals, whether at home or privately or at church. Because God has ordained them. Christ said, do this. Now that in itself should be enough reason to do it. But he's given us further motivation that these things are not just service to him. They do us good. And they bring grace to the lost and to our fellow believers. Do you want to be saved from the wrath that is due to your sins? Then value the means and use them. Because they are the ordinary way that God uses to give grace. To not use them is to spiritually harm ourselves and despise God's gifts. So when someone is weak and struggling as a Christian, what do pastors often say? (laughs) Brother, sister, are you using the means of grace? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you attending worship? If I came to you and you had wasted down to 70 pounds and you were weak, famished, about to die, I would ask you the question, are you eating? Are you taking in sustenance? Well, this is Jesus' point in John 6. If you want to be spiritually alive, if you want to be spiritually healthy, you need to feed on Christ. You need to believe You need to drink his blood and eat his flesh. How's that done? Read the Bible. Go to worship. Pray.